Americas, live and underway here on ESPN Plus. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I am Sebi Salazar. We are all still waiting on Lionel Messi, and I'm in Los Angeles waiting on Herc. Herc, where are you? Obviously not in L.A., where it's a lot cooler mm -hmm. than uh, Glendale, Arizona, where it's uh, a cool and comfortable 108 degrees Fahrenheit. Ooh. As you can see behind me, the stadium where Mexico will play are they playing Haiti? Are they playing Haiti, guys? They're going to play that, Haiti. On that Gold Cup coverage grind on a balcony somewhere uh, in the continental United States. Lots coming up on this edition in of Football Americas. Ali Krieger is going to join us in just a little bit, talking NWSL weekend as well as the World Cup roster that was just dropped last week for the United States. We also have some big news out of Major League Soccer, a get-lost segment for all time. Bob Bradley out at Toronto FC. But let's start the show with some highlights, shall we? And the Gold Cup opener on Saturday between the United States and Jamaica. Soldier Field in Chicago. Eight minutes into this one, U.S. with a chance. Jesus Ferreira, the provider. Alan Sonora, the shot. Andre Blake, the save. Jamaica. Yeah, Alan Sonora's got to do a lot better with that one. Striking back in the 13th minute, Damian Lohert. Yeah, DeMar Gay with the beautiful ball in. Look at this, curler. And then what happened to the offside trap? You can't pull the offside trap with a back line that's never played together. They do it, and Damian Lowe, uh, he'll take that. U.S. down 1-0. Things going from bad to worse in the 27th minute. Aiden Morris called for the foul in the penalty area. And we're going to the spot hurt. Yeah. 100% a foul. He has no idea where he is, his body is. Uh, just errant limb out there, and it's Leon Bailey to the spot. To the spot, but not to the back of the net. Matt Turner, the huge save. It's not that he had an opportunity at the penalty kick. It's that he had a second bite at the apple and an empty net and still missed. U.S. Pressing forward in the 71st minute. Andre Blake, another big save. And the Americans can't find the equalizer. But 88th minute, they do. A mistake at the back. Brandon Vasquez pounces her. Oh, talk about mistakes. Uh, they had the 1-0 going home with three points, and then off the defender's hip right there, Brandon Vasquez, who came in about six minutes early, says, thank you very much. Muchas gracias. That is mine. All tied up. More post-game reacts from Chicago. For me, the, the biggest takeaway is the same exact thing we've told the players throughout this tournament, is that our goal is to just get better each day. And so we're going to, you know, we were able to get better in this game, and we're just going to continue to push to get better. Um, we always knew that this was going to be a strong opponent. Um, it's, a, it's a very talented Jamaica team that can, that can d hurt you in many different ways. So again, there's a lot of learning moments for us. Um, <clears throat> and at the same time, I think there's a lot of great responses that we saw tonight. So we'll build on the positives and, again, continue to navigate group play one step at a time. I don't know if anything was lacking. It was just kind of the first game of the tournament. First, we've only been together for a couple of days, so it was just kind of getting those nerves out of the way, but I thought we played well. Obviously, Jamaica was a really uh, top team that had a lot of talented players, and St. Kitts is another great team that we need to win against, so it's going to be an important game for us. Not a win, Herc, a draw. Is it a good result for the United States? It's a massive result for the United States. Uh, especially the game, the way this game was trending, excuse me. If you look at how it was trending, they could have had 2-0 30 minutes in. They score that. Leon Bailey scores that, a penalty that he should have put away. You can say what you want about Matt Turner. He's been massive in penalty kicks, I believe. Out of six, they've only made two. Uh, on Matt Turner, he's been that good. But you have a penalty kick, you should feel good about scoring, about making the penalty kick. You miss it, but you get a second bite of that apple. Open it on your right foot. And I mean open it. And he botches it. Leon Bailey botches it. Jamaica goes from a potential 2-0 up 30 minutes in. That would have then made the U.S. men's national team chase the game, open themselves up, and allow Jamaica to carve him up with that front line. This is a massive result for the U.S. men's national team for long stretches of this game. You could say, yeah, they control possession. Yeah, they had some dangerous opportunities as well. But allow Jamaica to dictate that pace. Allow Jamaica to be the aggressor. And if you look at this Jamaican team, if you look at who coaches him? It was the old Icelandic coach uh, who had that sweet Cinderella run uh, with Iceland in the 2016 World Cup, or Euro, excuse me, who made the World Cup for the first time with Iceland. Yes, the dentist, Halkerson. When you look at that, that this Jamaica team is getting better. When you look 
at the front line that they have, starting with Bobby Reed in the midfield as you'd like to inject him there, and then uh, Damari Gray, a Mikel Antonio, a Leon Bailey, uh, that type of pedigree, nobody in the U.S. men's national team has that pedigree. Mm. So when you look at all these factors and the fact that they could have been down 2-0 30 minutes in, this is a massive result yeah. for them. Yeah. Good result, Herc. I'll give you that. But bad performance, right? We hear a lot of the rhetoric now saying, well, it's the first game of the Gold Cup. And I think that makes a lot of sense, not just because it's the first game of this tournament, but because it is a lot of guys who have not played together at this level. That said, Herc, you were on a Gold Cup winning team in 2013. How much can you truly chalk up to, ah, oh, this was his first game jitters, the team didn't look that good, or moving forward, do you actually have some cause for concern with this group? Well, I I've always had calls for concern with this group because it's not the same group that won the Nations League. It's not even close. Uh, listen, I, I w I've been in these uh, two camp teams, right? Copa America 2007, um, there was a team that played the Gold Cup, that won the Gold Cup versus Mexico, Benny Falharber Golasso, and, and then there was our group who was overlapping with that team and had to play Copa America, and it was a glorified, you know, U23 team. It was, a, it was a secondary third team, if you will, that went into Venezuela in that Copa America. And, and you feel the distance mm. from, from what one team achieved and, and your reality. And I think it's the same thing here. You could say it's the same crest, it's the same program, but it's not the same team. And that's where people get confused. So to put that much stock on terrible performance, sure, granted who you were playing, and mm. you can say what you want about Jamaica. I still think Jamaica on paper is probably the better team here. Uh, this is a B team, uh, and it's B.J. Callahan who's still navigating the ropes by himself uh, with this team that, yeah, didn't play well, but I didn't think they were going to play well in this game. I had it chalked up as a draw. It ended mm. up as a draw, just not in the way I had anticipated. But my hopes for the U.S. men's national team aren't that high in this go-around. It'd be high if it was the A team. Yeah, it's B team versus A team. It's come from behind. And I think most importantly, Herc, had they lost, you know what that would have meant for the bracket, right? That means you're probably going in as a second-place team. Maybe Mexico then in the semifinal yep. instead of the final. Although oh, yeah. maybe the, the days of avoiding Mexico are, are, are well in the past now. But still, this keeps the U.S. alive. In fact, it keeps very much their destiny in their own hands to win the group. And that is super important if the goal here is for this young group to get to a final and win this tournament, isn't it? It's the most important thing here. Now, you could say what you want about Mexico and them not being the best moment possible, but they're picking up steam. And they're also the strongest team on paper. They're the team that is the closest to their actual A team uh, with all players that are actually available. That is the A team. So you would say you want to avoid a team like that, a team that's on the up, if you will, at the moment. And in the U.S., uh, Mexico is always a toss-up. It's always a battle. You don't want to face them in a semifinal. You want to face them, if you can't, in a final. So now the destiny's in your own hands. You could uh, figure out what you do in the next two opponents and, and try to route them as much as you can uh, and get goal differential and hope Jamaica doesn't do so, and you still can win this group. So very much in your own hands, you want to avoid those tough teams on paper. That's all you can do. All right, Herc, let's dive into some of the individual performances from Saturday night for the United States against Jamaica with a quick rendition of Stardom or sit him. And let's start in the midfield. All right, your two choices in midfield. Jordi Mihailovic, Alan Sonora. Start him, sit him. What you doing here? Yeah. Yeah, Alan Sonora, I still don't know what we're doing here. I don't know <laughs> what we're going for. This is a player that wasn't in a great moment in Liga Mekis with a team that struggled mightily in, in Juarez. Uh, and you're bringing him into this group and you're starting him over players who had good European seasons or in Europe, uh, players who offer maybe a little bit more uh, going forward. Alan Soñora had a perfect chance that Jesus Ferreira turned provider that you, you previously called earlier. And it was a great look on his strong left foot in front of net, probably the cleanest, clearest of them all. And he hits it right at Andre Blake. Mm. Uh, Jordi Mihailovic has a certain quality about him that I'd love to see in this tournament. I'd love to see when given the opportunity. He's a player that I think could be a fringe A player. So I want to see him right now Alonso and I had my doubts coming into this. After what I saw against Jamaica, I still have my doubts. Okay, let's go to the back line here. And, and the options here on the back line are very interesting, right? Because one is a newcomer, and two is a real veteran presence. So start him, sit him. Your choices are Brian Reynolds and DeAndre Yedlin. Listen, Brian Reynolds has a high ceiling, and I know you could say he's probably, I don't know, third, fourth uh, in that depth chart, if you will, in a very crowded backfield that is that right back position. But I ask you where DeAndre Yedlin 
at 29 years of age sits on that depth chart. And it's not number one because it's Serginho Dest, and it's certainly not number two mm. because everybody would say it's Joe Scally. So why are you placeholding a number three on a player that's 29 years of age and pretty soon will be coming on the latter portion of his career when you can start accelerating fast uh, tracking a player like Brian Reynolds, who I think has a, a bright future ahead of him. Why not give him this opportunity? Mm. Because if we understand that this is a second-rate tournament, if, because that's what CONCACAF has told us, that's what the U.S. Men's National Team and U.S. Soccer have told us with Trout now to beat team, then okay, allow some of these players who you could think have a future, not just with the ma national team, but elsewhere, flourish. Allow them to gain that experience. I don't need to see DeAndre Yedlin again. I know who DeAndre Yedlin is. All right, so on the back line, you're starting Reynolds, you're sitting Yedlin. Let's go up top, something you actually uh, know a little something-something about. We got two options here. They're not exactly like for like, okay? Brandon Vasquez coming off the goal, and Jordan Morris. Who are you starting, Herc, and who are you sitting? All right, all right we're going to start Brandon Vasquez here and sit Jordan Morris. Listen, Jordan Morris doesn't look physically fit. Uh, there are reports out of camp right now that he's got a knee issue. They want to monitor that. We don't know how fit or uh, or not he is to start the next game i'm just gonna uh, pull him right now he didn't look like himself he's not looked like himself for maybe the last two months he started flying in major league soccer uh, and really looked like the jordan morris of old but he's going on a second knee surgery and there are complications with that knee right now so let's give him a break he didn't show his best football brandon vasquez is a guy that many have asked to start for quite some time mm. he's a guy that's played four times already scored two goals so this is what i want to do i want to throw brandon vasquez in the nine position i don't want to take jesus Ferreira out I'm not abandoning Jesus Ferreira, who I think is a top playmaker on this roster right now. And you don't have to take my word for it. Just watch what he did against Jamaica. He turned provider plenty of times. One of those times ended up in the back of the net with Brandon Vasquez. You could say circumstantial, but what about Alan Senora? What about Jordan Morris and the wall pass that Jordan Morris didn't recognize? And Jordan Morris shot with the left foot, and Andre Blake came up big. He's your best creative spark up top. Anywhere in that trident right now. So what I want to do is I want to convert... Alejandro Sendejas and Jesus Ferreira as a double 10 underneath Brandon Vasquez, much like Thomas Tuchel used to do with Christian uh, Pulisic at Chelsea. Those two uh, narrow wingers, if you will, narrow 10s underneath that nine. And then allow, because you will have an Aiden Morris, you will have a James Sands, to sit. Mihailovic to work off of those, and it could even be a rotation, if you will. And then Tolkien and Brian Reynolds will have the liberty because they know they have four that are stay home with those double pivots that I just mentioned in Morris, Sands, and what is a Miazga and Jalen Neal who really impressed me. Jalen Neal will be there because Aaron Long is injured. Jalen Neal could be the future of the U.S. Men's National Team, much like Miles Robinson has mm -hmm. shown to have that potential. I see a lot of similarities between those two players. So Jalen Neal, get him on. You have those four sitting. The fullbacks can go. And then you've got a lot of creativity behind a goal scorer like Brandon Vasquez, who I really feel can come into his own in this Gold Cup. Remember, Seb, there's always somebody, somebody who says, hey, I'm here. This Gold Cup is my coming out party. Last Gold Cup, it was Miles Robinson. Who could it be this Gold Cup? I firmly believe Brandon Vasquez to be that man. It is interesting to hear you say that you don't think Jordan Morris is at 100%, because I think we got a little bit of that from Brian Schmetzer when these call-ups came. He, he, in, a, in a way that most coaches yeah. usually aren't very so public about saying, like, is, is this really the right time to call these guys up? He did about, about both Morris and Roldan, so I think maybe there was some underlying issues uh, there. Herc, I can't help but notice that on your 11, you did leave off Aaron Long. Is that an injury, or is that a, I know we didn't start or sit him here, but after this performance and really after the last yeah. year, year and a half, we're at a, we're at a sit him with Aaron Long, aren't we? Yeah, and people are, I don't want to say unfair because you can only be judged by what you do on the field, but, but people have a bias towards Aaron Long. And this is what I will say about Aaron Long. Aaron Long, for a brief year before that Achilles injury, was one of the best center backs in the program. He's not been the same player since that injury. It's unfortunate but it's a harsh reality. And you could say what you want about who's at fault in that goal or how fit he was to play this game. He's not shown in Major League Soccer with LAFC this year nor last year when he was playing uh, that he's that same player. Uh, so he didn't look fit. I, I left him out because of fitness issues. It doesn't look like he will play. But even if it wasn't a fitness issue, uh, you know, I would say Aaron Long is not in his best moment right now. And the U.S. men's national team, it's two things. It's to plan and develop for the future. I firmly believe this team, because you have the A team set, so this type of tournament, yes, plan and develop for the future. And two, play your best. I don't think he's there right now. All right. Uh, up next for the U.S. men's national team, of course, St. Kitts 
and Nevis. That match on Wednesday night. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code FIRSTTAKE and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more, more than, than ever. ever. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to gamble responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. This U.S. promotional offer not available in D.C., Mississippi, North Carolina, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 for New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. For Massachusetts, 1-800-327-5050. For Iowa, 1-800-BETS-OFF. For Puerto Rico, 1-800-981-0023. For West Virginia, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.net. First bet offer for new customers only. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets but expire in seven days in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. What about El Tri, Mexico? In action on Sunday, taking on Honduras. Part of a packed house, it should be said. Jimmy Lozano mania already spreading. Just a minute into this game. Luis Romo, left-footed volley, golazo. What a way to start, her. I mean, are you kidding me? 50 seconds in, 50 seconds in. Diego Coca's like, really? Really? 19th minute, Mexico on the attack. Jorge Sanchez, cross into the box. Barely missing a second, Luis Chavez. Yeah, said, but they were on the front for the get-go. Excuse me, from the get-go, they, they wanted to uh, prove how dangerous they could be. Luis Romo does just that. 2-0 Mexico here. Yeah, it's a good header right there. Gallardo, he's clearly onside, and Luis Romo, a little tap, and he'll take that. 52nd minute. Orbelin, magic. I mean... It looks like the type of goal that he was scoring in Greece. It really does. I don't know if this is a Henry Martin playback, if he does a well pass or is off the defender. Orbelin Pineda will take that either way and just finishes it off nicely. Great game for Orbelin. Involved again here, loses it. Eventually falls to Luis Romo. And now to Luis Chavez, outside of the foot. Yeah, Luis Chavez a little toe poke, Romario-esque. He only scores golazos for the Mexican national team. That's his second goal. Obviously, the one in the World Cup, and now this. What about La Manita? Could we get a fifth? Well, yes, but it was offside. Santi Jimenez tapping in. Yeah, it looked like Charlie with the back heel right there, Charlie Rodriguez, and he's clearly offside. Uh, I would say maybe a half yard offside, but here's Jimmy right Lozano right time, afterwards. El último partido lo jugaron 4-3-3. Le dimos algunos matices ese 4-3-3 que utilizaron contra Panamá. Y creo que en el fútbol también mucho lo más difícil, y se habla mucho, es hacerlo fácil. Y si ustedes ven, por momentos el, el juego es, es muy simple. No, no, no hay cosas extrañas, cosas raras. El juego es simple y eso a veces cuesta que, que, que el jugador lo entienda. Yo lo entendí retirado y, y me considero un jugador un poquito pensante. Entonces, si llegas a convencer al jugador de que por momentos y en algunas zonas y situaciones lo simple es lo mejor, me parece que a veces salen goles como el de Orbelín vimos hoy. Interesting comments there from Jimmy Lozano. More interesting comments from Edson Alvarez, who had this to say after the big win over Honduras. The fact that a Mexican coaches you makes you feel more represented, more comfortable. Alvarez would go on to add, from what I can remember, I've never had a Mexican coach in the senior national team, and that fires up the mood. Everything has changed a lot. This quote making the rounds down in Mexico, Herc. Are we giving Edson a get lost, or is he speaking the truth? No, we can give Edson a get lost, and it hurts me to give him a get lost because I think Edson is the best six in CONCACAF, and I think he's mm. elevated his game. He played as a center back in this game for Jimmy Lozano. He can show uh, how versatile he is, and he's turning into a leader, but this isn't what people want to hear. It also isn't true. 
It doesn't matter if you're Argentinian, Mexican, or if you're Martian. A good coach is a good coach, mm. and that's what you want. You want a coach who can transmit his idea, his style of play to the group, and then give the group the tools to apply said idea on the field. Something that Diego Coca didn't do, something that Tata Martino didn't do, just happens to be that they were Argentinian, mm. they weren't Mexican. But because you're a Mexican coach doesn't make you a good coach. Because you're not Mexican doesn't make you a bad coach. Would a Pep Guardiola, if available mm. and if willing, not be an ideal coach? Would they say, no, sorry, guy, you're not Mexican, we don't want you? That's why it's a get lost here. And it's also a get lost because the only one who looks bad or the only ones who look bad when they reaffirm this are the players. Mm. Are you not professional enough where it doesn't matter what the nationality is, you can put your comfort away for a second and say, hey, this is my job. This is what I need to do. It, are you that blinded by patriotism where you're just saying only Mexican coaches will suit us? Mm. It, it kind of looks bad here. I think I think I want to give him a get lost, but I think he is speaking the truth. And to your point, maybe the bigger question here is what does it say about Edson Alvarez? What does it say about the Mexican player that they need such a security blanket? Because certainly Edson is a guy who who you would think doesn't need that, right? He's a guy who left Mexico, went to Europe, put his career on the line, and has done pretty well for himself. So the fact that he, of all people, Herc, is saying, yeah, we needed a Mexican player a coach to make us feel better about playing for the national team is a little bit disturbing. But it's absolutely clear that what was happening before was very, very negative, and what's happening now under Jimmy Lozano is very, very positive. That probably has more to do with style than nationality, right? Jimmy Lozano saying, hey, you guys can play a little bit more free. You guys can play a little more attacking, a little bit more in the air quotes, the DNA of Mexico than Diego Coca did, than Tata Martino did. And maybe those guys didn't really accept, understand how important that, that Mexican DNA was because they weren't Mexican. But this is a huge concern because eventually, not just for the Mexican player, the national team, to be truly ambitious, you are going to have to go outside of Mexico. There are no elite world-class coaches right now in Mexico. That, that's not a reality. So I think in, in a way I understand what he's saying. I agree with him. But I don't like what it says, Herc, about the Mexican player and certainly not about Edson. Yeah, uh, I will say this. I was asked this in other spaces. I, I will say this. I think they're referring to Jimmy Lozano. I don't think they're saying mm. any Mexican coach. Right. I think they're saying Jimmy Lozano. And, and while, while I, the reason I say this because Jimmy Lozano, he's also sending his own messages. It kind of sounds like he's taking shots oh, 100%. At, at Diego Coca, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, okay. What, what he's doing is it's, one, it's two birds with one stone. He, he's taking a shot at the old Mexican coach but to the players. You're not the problem. You were never the problem. He was the problem. Mm. The coach was the problem. You're not the problem. We can do this. It was the style. You're good. So what he's doing is he's winning over that locker room. Listen, Jimmy Lozano is referred to as el actor, the mm. actor. His parents, uh, two very famous actors in Mexico. He's a very charismatic individual. Definitely knows how to perform in front of a camera. He knows how to sell. And we've spoken about this before, about him before. He is selling hope. He's not peddling. He is selling it. And everybody is buying in. Mm. The fans, the pundits, and the players. This is why I think they're referring to Jimmy Lozano, the Mexican coach, not just any Mexican coach. I, I, I get wanting to buy in. Things have been dark of late. But we have to put into context as well when Edson's going to come out and say, I feel more represented, I feel more comfortable. And people are going to say, well, the team, the team did look a lot better. You know, they scored four goals. They beat Honduras. Herc, we got we to gotta put into context. We have to wow. mention here wh what, is, what shell of what Honduras was uh, is, is representing this nation in the Gold Cup. Alex Lopez, I mean, that guy wasn't good enough to play in MLS 10 years ago, and he's starting for Honduras still. I don't recognize this national team, and I think – before everybody goes crazy about, about Jimmy Lozano and how good Mexico looked, that 4 nothing comes up against one of the worst teams you're going to see in this tournament, and that's saying a lot. This is a terrible, terrible Herc version of Honduras. We, I believe it was uh, three weeks ago, we presented some clips of Albert Ellis talking about mm. the current situation in the Durant national team. It, it's a shell of its former self. Players don't want to even represent the national team. Uh, the best players don't go. They pick and choose when. It, it's chaos. That said, mm -hmm. 2021 Gold Cup, Mexico played against Honduras. Do you remember the score? It was a sweat. It was a sweat. It always is. But, hey, Mexico never was beating anybody. No, it wasn't. It was 3-0. Oh, it was 3-0. Okay, we were talking about... Uh... Uh, yes. Nations League, yeah. It was a th what I'm trying to say is, what I'm trying to say is, should we be surprised that they played this way? Absolutely not. I am with you. Mm -hmm. It's one of the worst on Honduras. Sure, whatever. But we shouldn't be surprised that, regardless of who it was in Concacaf, that Mexico can put this type of performance in. 
The problem isn't when you play Honduras. The problem is when you play against the U.S. Men's National Team, when you mm -hmm. play against Canada, and we saw in the third place game when you play against Panama, when it's just a step beyond what you should be doing. Yeah. That's the problem. All right, so let's uh, evaluate some individual performances, Herc, on the Mexico side. You did your homework with the Americans, so I'll do it here on this side. We'll do a little stock up, stock down. After 4 nothing. we probably should start with something positive. And let's start with one of the goal scorers. In fact, somebody who scored twice, Luis Romo. This is a big, fat stock up. His stock is soaring. So you score two goals in a 4 nothing win. Of course, your stock's going to go up. But it's where he scores these two goals from, right? Not just from midfield, but very specifically outside the box, long distance shot, you love to see that, and also on a set piece, which of course we know Mexico has not been very dangerous on in the past. So a couple nice goals for Luis Romo. Good for him, he's a player that needed these goals for his own personal game, but also, Herc, I think it's a position of need for Mexico. When we look at Mexico's probable midfield moving forward, Edson's probably going to be a lock in there. I think Luis Chavez is going to be a lock in there. That third spot is up for grabs. And if this is the Luis Romo we're going to get at international level, then I think he's really made a claim for that third spot. I will reserve judgment of the third spot because your next will get me into that third spot. Mm -hmm. What I will say mm -hmm. is when it comes to Luis Romo, who in the past in Liga MX has shown not to be one of the best players, but there was a time albeit six to eight months, where he was the best player in Liga MX. Mm -hmm. He was the MVP of a Cruz Azul team. It's about trust and confidence. In Jimmy Lozano, he's found a manager who's always trusted and had confidence in him. U20, Querétaro, the U20 team, Querétaro, that won the championship, won a U20 championship with Jimmy Lozano. His starting defensive midfielder was Luis mm. Romo. The bronze medal winning team, one of the overaged players for Jimmy Lozano was Luis Romo. How does he replay this confidence, or repay, excuse me, this confidence? Two goals in the opening, what, 10, 15 mm -hmm. minutes? Uh, you can tell that Luis Romo just looks like a different person, a different player. He is comfortable, he is confident, and he feels trusted. So I agree with you, stock up. Yeah, and I'll hold my hand up because when we looked at that, at that bronze medal winning core, I said Luis Romo was a guy who I, I didn't think should get this opportunity. He did get the opportunity, and he certainly made the most of it. So a big stock up for Luis Romo, and probably a, a big stock up for Orbelin Pineda. I didn't want to go with too many attackers or too many guys in the attack, but he obviously uh, played super well uh, as well against Honduras. Let's go stock down, because not everybody was flawless. And you know, Herc, this one hurts me. Jorge Sanchez, export of Club America. Does it? It hurts me, but it doesn't surprise me. Look, Jorge Sanchez is just not having a good moment. I think it's rare when a player goes from Liga Mekis to Europe, you would think that they would grow. But this is a player who right now is not growing. In fact, I think he's actually going backwards. It looks clear that Ajax is not gonna keep him, or at least they don't want to keep him. They've not been convinced. And he doesn't look like a player who's convinced in his own abilities. Now, Albert Ellis has made a lot of CONCACAF defenders look bang average. But Jorge Sanchez is not supposed to be just an average CONCACAF defender. Maybe that's what he is, but he's playing at Ajax. He should be more than that. I'm also desperate at this point to see Julian Araujo. So Jorge Sanchez for me, Herc, there's no other way to look at this stock down. And really, it's another opportunity that slips through his fingers. He keeps getting them. Uh, he keeps getting them for a reason. Now, listen, uh, Edson Alvarez, excuse me, Jorge Sanchez to Ajax for me, was never the right fit. A Kevin Alvarez to Ajax would be a better fit because he's an attacking fullback. He, he shines in the final third. He doesn't shine defending. It's, excuse me, Jorge Sanchez is more of a physical defending outside back. It was never the profile of a team like Ajax or, for that matter, a team like or a league like the Eredivisie. So I'm not too worried about that. I think he could still be a good European defender. But he's not your prototypical Mexican outside back that mm. handles the rock, that, that looks like an eight when he has the ball on the back. That's not him. And it's not to his faults. It's just not who he is. So don't ask him to do that. Mm. You're right about Albert Ellis. And there should probably have been some more cards out yep. in that first half because he was drawing a lot of fouls. He was making a lot of people look silly, albeit just by himself. But it didn't matter because collectively they were good. Jorge Sanchez is entering this toxicity level mm. that Uriel Antuna is at with the fans. It doesn't matter what he does, uh, as good or bad as he can be, he will always be on the tip of your tongue and, and he won't get that respect from the fans. So I'm not too worried about this. Alright, let's bring it back to the positive. We'll go stock up here, but we will keep it on the defensive line. A player who's been in the headlines quite a bit of late, 
Johan Vasquez. Now, I will say this about his performance against Honduras. It was not perfect. It was not flawless. In fact, he might have gotten away with a penalty. And he definitely got away with a few fouls. I think we're seeing some of them here. You think? But he made some key plays on that back line, some key interventions. And Herc, when we think about where this player was a week, two weeks ago, talking about not wanting to come back to the team, needing to sort out his club future, that all that he'd done to go to Europe had not been rewarded with opportunity, for him to get this opportunity and then make the most of it, help Mexico keep a clean sheet, to me is, is definitely a stock up for a guy who, much like Luis Romark, I think very, very much needed a good performance in this game. Well, it's a stock up because he played, finally. It's a stock up because the two last coaches who were at the national team never gave him a chance, right? <coughs> it's a stock up because it's good for his confidence. He's in Europe, so you want him thriving here so he can parlay that into another move because he's not going to go back to where he was back. They got relegated. He doesn't want to play in the Serie A. So, uh, stock up, sure. But he looked nervous. Mm. He looked hesitant. He didn't look like the Johan Vasquez that we've been sold time and time again by our good friend Mauricio Pedrosa. Uh, this is my worry for Johan Vasquez. You mentioned Luis Romo and him being that op third option in the midfield. I think Luis Romo is going to have that spot because Edson Alvarez mm. is an option at center back. And mm. I firmly believe that when Jimmy Lozano has all options healthy and he thinks Cesar Montes, Edson Alvarez at center back, that looks good if I can fit Luis Romo in the midfield. Yeah, I mm. like that. I will go with that. And odd man out, I really firmly believe, will be Johan Vasquez. Do you like it, Herc? Because I got to go stock down on Edson as a center back. You tell me he's the best six in CONCACAF and we're going to put him out of a, into a different position? That, that doesn't seem logical to me. Different strokes. Just what the coach wants, ah. how he wants his team to play. Um, no, no, didn't he tell I us it's simple? I think Edson Alvarez is no, a very good simple. You back. don't need to complicate it. That's what Jimmy Lozano said. Keep it simple. Then you, you keep a six as a six. You don't complicate it. Please. Come on. Well, he, he, he plays as a center back in the Eredivisie. He played for, as a center back for Ajax. I think he's a better center back than Johan Vasquez, if you ask me. Yeah, I mm -hmm. do. I think he's a better center back than Johan Vasquez. So if you think you can solidify a center back duo of Cesar Montes and Edson Alvarez and you don't lose too much mm. and maybe gain something going forward that we know that's not Edson's forte uh, in the midfield with Luis Romo, I could see a world where absolutely that's what Jimmy Lozano does. Big decisions looming for Jimmy Lozano on the back line and in the Mexican midfield. Here's a look at the top of Group D. That's where we find Mexico and Haiti. That's right. Haiti, who beat Qatar in dramatic fashion to grab all three points. Group B at the Gold Cup. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight. S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. across the NWSL as the league said farewell to not all, but most of its World Cup-bound stars. For more, we welcome in a player who has two World Cup titles on her own ledger, Ali Krieger. Great to have you back with us here on Football Americas. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be back. How are you? Great. And we have lots to discuss between uh, what happened this past weekend in the NWSL, the women's national team, which, of course, just dropped their World Cup roster last week but I want to get your kind of long-term historical perspective on something first because something you didn't see in that montage there were the attendance numbers this weekend across the league we had I think three attendances over 20,000 uh, when you think back to when this league started 
you know, put in perspective kind of the change that you've seen, especially at the gate. Yeah, it's been incredible. The the change and the progression and um, the positive energy, um, you know, just motivates us even more when you play in a stadium that's packed. Uh, it's, it's definitely a difference from, you know, two men and their dog uh, up in the stands in the first year of the league. And so now you have 22 to 25,000 fans you're playing in week in and week out. Um, and it's been incredible to see the growth and you know, winning at the highest level with the national team, I think, has really helped that progression and um, and that positivity to get people in the stands. Allie, welcome back. Good to have you back with us. All right, I need some insight into your Gotham teammates, a, a trio especially. Kelly O'Hara, uh, we're talking about Lynn Williams, Kristen Mewis. What does this trio bring to the U.S. women's national team in this World Cup? Well, they bring with Kelly experience for sure. And that leadership in the back line that we desperately need now that Becky Sauerbrunn is unfortunately injured and can't be in the tournament. Um, and then you have Lynn Williams, who has scored seven goals so far in the league. Um, she's, you know, top top with, you know, four or five other players right now fighting for uh, that golden boot for the league. And she's really carried that offensive attack uh, for our team on her back. And she's she's been having such a great start to the season. And then obviously Christy Mewis, who's, you know, you know, this is her first World Cup along with Lynn, and she has that experience with the national team that she's had for the past three, four years. And then when she was really young, you know, kind of thrown into the team and really had to adapt and, and play at a high level at such a young age. So she has that experience, even though this is her first World Cup. She's had that experience at the highest level for a long time now. And I'm really thrilled for her because she, you know, has always wanted to play in this tournament. And obviously watching her sister play last tournament, 2019, I think it's really incredible that she that she made the 23. Ali, I need a, a defender's perspective here. All right. So you see a lot of these players in the National Women's Soccer League. And there's a lot of very dangerous players on this U.S. women's national team roster, especially when you think about those kind of wide attacking positions, which you will deal with on a on a week in, week out basis. Of course, no Mallory Swanson. So we take her off the board. But are the players that are left from a defender's perspective, like who do you who do you least want to see as the matchup on the other side? Who's the most dangerous player for this U.S. team? I really feel that Sophia Smith obviously has the most goals in the league right now with 10. And I think she has five assists in the NWSL. She's been playing out of her mind um, at, at the highest level as well. But uh, if she keeps this form, I feel like she is our go-to player uh, definitely in, in this tournament. Um, and, and hopefully, you know, she's going to be able to perform seven games, 90 plus minutes because we need her every minute um, against every every team. And so she will be key for us um, and how successful she can be and how our teammates can help her be successful, I think will be key for us this tournament. And then obviously the interchange between Lynn Williams and Trinity Rodman and Megan Rapino and Alyssa Thompson. And then you have, you know, um, obviously Alex Morgan, who this is her fourth World Cup and she's going to be a leader in that attacking line. But Sophia Smith will definitely bring um, hopefully a lot of highlights for us to, to really enjoy this tournament. Uh, one of the two hosts on Football America predicted Sophia Smith would be MVP and leading goal scorer uh, this year in the WSL. It wasn't Seb. Just throwing that out there. Uh, it may be a moot point now because I, I, I'm a forward. I'm a forward a hard played all my life, a nine, and I'm a little conflicted here. If I look at this roster, the only true nine is Alex Morgan. Are we making too big of a deal of, of there now being another true nine of the risk that Vlaco's taking here? No, I mean, I agree. Yes. Uh, you know, is she a true only the true number nine in the in the roster? Yes. But if you watch the league, you have Sophia Smith playing the nine and and the ten. She can also play wide. She's so versatile. And then you have Trinity Rodman last game or two games ago playing against Kansas City in the nine. And and then you obviously have Lynn Williams, who for for Gotham FC uh, has played in the nine and they can all interchange in the front line. And so I know that, you know, Alex is the only true nine. But I do think that varying up the attack and if we have to, um, they're definitely interchangeable up top. And I think that's what will be so unpredictable for us going into this tournament. Ali, you mentioned it at the beginning of the segment. One of the big absences here is, is Becky Sauerbrunn. How big an absence is this? Is this something that the U.S. can overcome? 
Yes, obviously I'm a bit biased. She's, um, you know, I've played, I had my first cap with her and shared shared the field with her many times. And uh, she's incredible. She's obviously the leader of the team and um, has been the mainstay in the back line has brought that confidence, that comfort, that consistency that we've all watched over the years. And without that, yes, it, it definitely will be missed. Um, that's no doubt about it. Um, just having her leadership and helping those younger players, um, you know, stay on track and and help them, you know, guide them through um, with any assistance that they need um, as well throughout the tournament. And and this will be, uh, you know, definite change. Um, we're going to see an adjustment. But if those younger players who now will have to step up in the squad and and really perform well, they if they're performing the same way as they have been in the NWSL, I think we will definitely be strong. Um, yes, are we going to miss that leadership quality? But then that's why you have players like Kelly O'Hara, um, Julie Ertz, um, definitely Megan Rapino. Even I know she's not a defender, but she can um, help out in that way. And then Crystal Dunn. This will be her second World Cup, and she's she's obviously, um, you know, very popular within um, the back line and, and has done such an incredible job and, and knows that position really well as a defender. So she can help there, too. Um, but I think we will be OK. We're going to be really strong. We have the young players that can step up and get the job done. Ali, I hate comparing like different generations, like the generation of the past to this generation. I hate that. So let me ask you. Can you compare the last two World Cup teams that you were on, 2015 and 2019, to this current U.S. women's roster? Maybe the, the uh, overlapping differences that you see, and it's worth noting, those two last two that you were on, world champions. You guys lifted that trophy. What are the differences from those two squads to this one? Yeah, great question. I mean, it's it's you know pretty obvious that there are 14 you know younger players. This is their first World Cup. I don't know if we've had that many in the past two World Cups, but that doesn't mean we can't be just as strong, if not better. I don't think it's better or worse. It's just different. And I think that we will always luckily have that winning mentality and that athleticism going into the World Cup. Um, so that's not to, to, to worry at all. Um, but I do think that we had uh, in previous years or previous World Cups, we had a good balance of veteran leadership and you know youthful talent. Um, so now that might be tipped the opposite way, but that doesn't mean we're, we're you know not capable of performing just as good, if not better. So so it will be different, but I think that the excitement will be there for sure. And um, I know that we will be strong. We're fully capable with the with the squad that we have. One of the other differences that I've noted is um, just having a, a you know quality depth. I think within every single position on the field previous World Cups, especially in 2019. I thought that was, you know, I might be biased in this, but one of our best teams, if not the best team that I've ever been on. And so, you know, you looked down the bench um, into the sideline, no matter who would be called upon, was able to do the job and do it very well. Um, so it will be, uh, you know, interesting to, to see how that will play out, especially barring all the injuries you know, that we've, that we have, and, you know, a few injuries going into the tournament that I know some of the players are carrying. So it should be, uh, you know, exciting, but also um, it's just different in that way. Uh, I think with the, the amount of depth that we had in previous years might be a little bit different now. Okay, Ali, before we let you go, I have to ask you about one more thing that we saw in that NWSL weekend recap montage. This okay. hot shot stuff. I don't know if it's a liquid. I don't know if it's a gel. Uh, we saw the reaction from Alyssa Thompson. Uh, a couple other, I think this was a Kansas City game as well. So what is this stuff and what does it taste like? You know, uh, to be honest, I have never cramped out on the field, surprisingly, especially at my age. Um, you know, maybe at dinner or at home afterwards, uh, making a slight movement, and then, you know, I cramp up at home. Uh, but never on the field, and I've never taken a shot of this, this new stuff. And by the looks of it, I don't think I even want to taste that either. <laughs> Herc, you believe she's never cramped up? <laughs> I don't believe that one second. No way Ali's played that long. No, at the at the highest of levels and never cramped up on the field. I am calling it right now. No chance, Ali. I don't buy it. I I swear I promise Scout's honor. I have never cramped up on the field <laughs> and had to take one of those shots. 
All right, uh, there she is, Alex. I've had Sebi cramp up at dinner. I, I cramped up on the set. I cramped up live on air. I, so I'm I'm last in the uh, on the beep test. Uh, Ali Krieger, great to have you with us here on Football Americas. Hopefully, we can do it again soon. Thanks so much for the time. Yes, thank you for having me. Ali Krieger, two-time World Cup champion. Couple players seeking their third World Cup title to join the immortal Pele as the only players to hoist the World Cup trophy three times. I heard big news. United States set to host FIFA's expanded Club World Cup in 2025. The tournament will feature 32 teams, up from the seven participating in this year's edition. 12 from Europe, six from South America, four from CONCACAF, Asia, Africa, Oceania, plus one team selected from the host country, <clears throat> Inter-Miami Messi. Let's hear more from the man with a plan, Gianni Infantino, FIFA president. Well, I believe that uh, North America and, and, of course, United States, uh, uh, as part of, uh, of it, uh, will host uh, an incredible men's World Cup in 2026. Preparations are uh, well on track there as well. The excitement is starting and uh, seeing how the game of uh, football or soccer is uh, growing in the United States. Um, we felt uh, at the Council unanimously that it's the right decision uh, to take to bring the best clubs of the world in June, July 25, 32 clubs, uh, including all winners of all Champions Leagues all over the world uh, over the last four years to play in the first and the greatest club competition in the world. Uh, they will be united in the United States and this will give another impetus to the growth uh, of the game, which uh, will reach, I'm sure, in the next couple of years completely different levels in North America. Herc, it feels like big news. Is it something, nothing or everything for MLS and Liga Mekis teams? Well, this is uh, everything of the uh, BS I've been hearing. Uh, did he say the biggest club competition in the world? That it would be the biggest club competition? Did the Champions League cease operations? What's, what's going on here? Are, are they no longer funded? What is going on here? Mm -hmm. I mean, let's not kid ourselves to why this is happening. Okay. It's the dollars. They want the dollars. Dollar, dollar, dollars. Dollar, dollar, dollar bills, y'all. That's what they want. Can they be the biggest club competition in the world? No, they cannot. Now, what I will argue is this makes sense for FIFA in multiple fashion. The money... The TV rights, attendance. I've played in a Club World Cup. Mm -hmm. My Club World Cup was in Abu Dhabi in Dubai. There was nobody there. There was nobody in the stands in the Club World Cup I played on. It, it felt cheapened to, to an extent. It didn't have the glamour that you would expect a World Cup to have. Nobody paid attention to it in those countries. Here in the States, yeah. If you say Real Madrid's going to be there, mm. if you say a... a, a a team like Man City will be there. If you say the Seattle Sounders, Tigres, if you say teams like that will be Yeah, people are going to show up. I get it. I get it. It's the dollar-dollar bills. Here's where it's, I would say, crucial for football in North America, not just the U.S., but football in North America. We are on the heels. Right now, we are completing a 2023 Gold Cup. There will be a 2024 Copa America, a 2025 Club World Cup, and who knows, maybe even a Confed Cup in there, uh, the national team tournament that we once got to enjoy. Maybe that'll be in there as well. And then the 2026 World Cup, a potential 2027 Mexico and U.S. World Cup, and then the Olympic Games in Los Angeles 2028. You're embarking on what could be the most important five-year stretch in North American football, that if you don't maximize, capitalize mm. on something like those events, not just in this country, but in this region, North America. I repeat, North America. If, it'll, if it won't be big after that, it'll mm. never be big. Oh, plus, uh, we're going to have the end of Lionel Messi's career happening uh, in that run-up as well. So, yeah, a, a huge couple of years. I think the big question here is how serious will the European teams take it, right? Because if, you, if you're going to tell me that Major League Soccer teams are going to have real competitive matches against European teams. That's rocket fuel for the league. It's not just for MLS, it's for Liga MX as well. Because you look at this, it looks like 
about five teams probably, let's be honest, from mostly MLS and Liga Mekis are going to get these spots. So five of 32 teams gives your teams a chance not just to play games in a group phase, but maybe even to get out. This is going to be a World Cup tournament. Maybe make a run. If you have competitive games, that really means something. I think the question here is, well, will these clubs in Europe treat it like that? Will they see it as what you're saying, Herc, which is a cash grab? But from the North American perspective, this is undoubtedly massive for MLS teams, massive for Liga Mekis. You can't overstate what it's going to mean for these teams to be playing real games against a Real Madrid, a Manchester United, not just from a marketing and all that standpoint, but from a visibility. MLS might have some visibility globally. Liga Mekis has zero visibility globally. This is going to help Liga Mekis a lot if its players can get some good games against the biggest clubs in the world in a real, real tournament. That's massive. It, it is massive, and you talked about how seriously these teams in Europe will take it. It's June, July, he mm -hmm. said. Remind me again where these teams will be June, July. Well, they'll be in the United most States. Of them will be coming back from <laughs> vacation. Well, yeah, but what I'm saying, most of these teams are, are like in vacation, coming off national team gigs, mm -hmm. whatever. I've been in these positions where one time uh, Mike Lupe Santos played on a Friday. Uh, after our game Friday night, we jetted, private jet, to Las Vegas to play against Real Madrid on a Sunday. Uh, our starters, we played 45 minutes against Real Madrid starters. They're in their preseason. Mm. When I say we work them, we work them because they're, they don't care, because they're in preseason mode, because they're in this great city. They're, they're trying to just gain fitness. Uh, it's one thing when they're fit and you can say they're like, this is true talent and they're just going to take over and they're going to beat the snot out of you. I get it. But, but when these teams aren't motivated, when, when there's no incentive for them, they're just going through the motion. So I'm 100% with you on what you're saying. You know what I wonder, Herc? What happens to League's Cup? You know, you just keep adding games and games and uh -huh. games. League's Cup. I mean, this uh, I'm is, sorry. It sounded th like you said League's Cup. Yeah, I mean, this is going to be Major League Soccer, Liga Mekis, big, big event. And now you've got the Club World Cup where supposedly the best teams would be in that. I mean, if you have, you're going to have to make a choice somewhere. I know everybody wants to get rid of the Open Cup, which we're not going to allow here on Football Americas. But, I mean, there has to be a limit for the players as well. Well, no. Except the, the Open Cup isn't going to – nobody's getting rid of the Open Cup. Just Major League Soccer teams will stop participating in mm. the Open mm. Cup. That's, that's the difference here. Uh, and when it comes to League's Cup, I mean, it's going to happen like Campeones Cup. They're just going to shove it in somewhere. Mm. And speaking of – Speaking of tournaments that don't matter, Campeón de Campeones. A showdown between the last two Liga Mekis title winners, Tigres and Pachuca. We'll pick this one up in the uh, 32nd minute. Tigres going to take the lead to Fernando Gorriarán. Build up down the right flank. And eventually Gorriarán into the box. And he finishes. Yeah, one of the best two-way midfielders in all of Mexico. A very good player, the Uruguayan Gorriarán. Andre Pierre Gignac just looks ageless. Spreads the ball right there. Gorriarán out wide. Quiñones doing what he does. Very intelligent about it. This will find its way in the box to our friend, Gorriran, who's right there for the easy finish. Bigon with the uh, assist there as Tigres take the 1-0 lead. 76th minute. Nico Ibanez against his former team. Yes, sir. Yeah, not celebrating, uh, you know, respectfully against his former team. He's now a millionaire with Tigres, so, well, how respectful could that be? Left them. I'm just kidding. Uh, here's the thing. This is a Pachuca without its national team players with a very much young core, and you could see that they were outmatched. They get back El Gol del Honor here, 79th minutes. I mean, it's a beautiful ball in, and then just Guido Pizarro playing that center back position has some uh, functional deficiencies there. Didn't see that, and well, it's a good goal in the end. Israel Luna, the goal scorer there for Pachuca, but too little, too late as Tigres lift the cup. Andre Pierre Gignac with some noteworthy comments after this game, making the comparison between Liga Mekis and Major League Soccer. Quote, it's much more marketing than us here in Mexico. I think that on this topic, we are less marketing, more soccer. I think we are still a level above it's my opinion, and I know that some will not agree, given what has happened with the national team, but I still believe that we are one step ahead. When he says we, he's referring to Mexican soccer. Herc, these are some shots fired at MLS. You got a problem with it? I got zero issue with it. Um, 
And he's right if you're looking at it from a Tigres lens. I mean, Tigres is a step above, I would say, a lot of Major League Soccer teams, if not all of them. That's Tigres. Tigres is the best team of the decade. And when you're talking about the best player, one of the best players who ever played in Mexico, and Andre Pierre Gignac, who's been in Mexico for the better part of a decade. So why would Andre Pierre Gignac, after everything he's achieved, and no MLS team really taking it to him, saying anything otherwise? Hmm. Like if you, It just makes sense for Andre Pierre Gignac to feel this way. Now, I'm not with the Espuro marketing because if you've not seen this here, I've not seen much marketing from Major League Soccer in general. So it's not Espuro marketing anymore. Uh, but that said, when we look at the elite of the elite in Mexico, I still feel it's above the elite mm -hmm. in Major League Soccer. It's everywhere else. Sure. Everywhere else that it's even, if not some Major League Soccer, soccer team, excuse me, have uh, overtaken. But when you talk about the elite, he's absolutely right. Yeah. It's shots fired, but I actually don't know if it should be. I think, all, honestly, what he's saying is MLS does the marketing better than Liga Mekis. It's not just a shot at the quality. Yes, he says Mexico and Liga Mekis is a step ahead. Well. The results on the field would suggest that. But, I mean, he's not wrong here. MLS does do the marketing better. That's why MLS players get sold for $8, 9000000 million who have played a season and a half, and the best Mexican players have no value in Europe. That's why. That's why, because MLS is better at marketing. Well, it's so not that not they wrong. have no value. It's not that they have no value. Well, they don't have the same value, they don't have the same value as the kid who's the played value. 20 minutes for the Philadelphia Union. It's different value. Now, now um, He's got his foot, or his foot, he's got his finger on the pulse here. Mm -hmm. He knows what Mexican fans talk about because esto de espuro marketing is something Mexican fans have said for a long time right, about Major League Soccer. but that's a flimsier so and flimsier argument every he's year. He's with the pulse. Well, that's fine, but he's with the pulse of what they're saying, of what the fans want to hear. He is saying it, and I repeat, why would he say anything otherwise? That's a shot on himself. He... he He's been in Liga MX in hmm. Mexico for the better part of a decade. Why would you shoot down yourself and your achievements and what you've done? Yeah. There was a moment where he was heavily linked to Major League Soccer. I guess uh, not anymore for André Pierre Gignac. Speaking of, he was Take awarded it, baby. the goal of the year. Let's uh, flash back. Clausura, Jornada 6 against Pumas. Did they get it right? I mean, this whole play was ridiculous. Yeah, Sebastian Cordoba takes the ball away, a little nutmeg, left foot to Andre Pierre Gignac, and then what a finish. It's a filthy finish. The technical ability here on Fleek, it's one of the best finishes I've seen in quite some time. It looks a lot easier than it is. Yes. I would say all he does is score bangers, but uh, he scores from all over the place. Bob Bradley out as head coach and sporting director at Toronto FC. TFC lost 2-1 at New England on Saturday. They are 14th in the Eastern Conference with just two wins in their last 17 games across all competitions. That plus reports of feuding between Bradley and his superstar players, namely Lorenzo Insigne and Federico Bernardeschi. Herc, how does this end impact Bob Bradley's coaching legacy? Ah, I don't think it impacts his coaching legacy. Hmm. Um, you're still going to view him as one of the best managers, U.S. managers that the country's ever produced. I mean, I think you would say he's top two managers the country's produced. So how does this really affect that? That's not going to change. Bob Bradley is still one of the very few that went out and tried to go abroad. And even though maybe it wasn't as successful mm -hmm. as some would have hoped, he goes abroad. Uh, he was in Norway. He was in La Habra in France. He was in the Premier League at Swansea. He coached multiple national teams. He's coached some great players. You could make a case of this maybe tarnishes his opportunities at a big MLS job uh, in the near future, but in no way does it tarnish his legacy. And Toronto is and has been for quite some time with Bob Bradley or without a dumpster fire, mm. fire excuse me, since Greg Vanny left. Bill Manning somehow gets to try to reinvent another Toronto team and he keeps pressing the buttons and spending that money and looking up transfer fees online to see who he could purchase next and <laughs> it's also on Bill Manning but listen the writing's on the wall I don't care if you're Bob Bradley or Pep Guardiola once you start seeing these reports about anonymous players mm -hmm. coming out against you that the locker room is lost and you've made that type of investment okay. it was just bound to happen all right, but we don't hear those reports about Pep Guardiola. We did hear them about Bob Bradley. Do you think the problem is Bob here, or do you think it's that Toronto locker room? Do you think it's the players that they've brought in? 
I think it's a little bit of both the personalities. The problem here is the players come before the coach, and in this case, the sporting director, the guy who's mm. supposed to bring in those players, right? Um, and Bob's, Bob is Bob, and what I mean by that is he wants different types of players and personalities to mesh a certain way, and he's very rigid sometimes in his approach. Doesn't make him any less successful when he tries to do things. But if you look at that locker room, and it's not just this current state of the locker room. We can go back to the Toronto Volts. They've had some culture issues. Mm. I would say with the exception of Greg Vanny and his teams, every single other culture that was instilled there was not the correct culture, was a toxic culture, was a losing culture. Um, that speaks about management. And I repeat, Bill Manning's going to be allowed to reconstruct another team for them. They're going to give this guy millions and mm. millions of dollars to try it again. Herc, to bring it back to Bradley for a second, because I don't think it's just these you know, not full seasons, but two seasons at Toronto FC. It's also what happened at LAFC, the inability to get the title there. And then what we right. see the year after he leaves, which is Steve Turundolo comes in as a first-time manager at that top-tier level and wins it with a lot of the same pieces. There was, some over, there was some turnover there, but a lot of the same pieces. So when you add the LAFC and TFC, and then we look at the resume, right? And, and we looked at there's no league titles since you got to go back to the 90s. There's a supporter shield with LAFC. Count that for what it's worth. There's a Canadian championship, I think, in there with Toronto FC as well. Count that for what it's worth. But there is a failure, Herc, of, of titles here. What, what, do we, what does that tell us about Bob Bradley's legacy? Because he's a guy who has gotten his team close. He's a guy that has gotten his team to play good football. But at the end of the day, whether it's the Confederations Cup final, Gold Cup final, whether it's the playoffs with LAFC, there seems to always be kind of a catastrophic failure at crunch time, even with LAFC at the CONCACAF Champions League final against Tigres, they have the lead in the final. What is it about Bob Bradley's coaching style, the way he approaches the game just from a tactical approach that doesn't allow his teams to win? Because that might not be just Toronto FC, but that happened at LAFC as well, and it's really happened throughout his career. Well, you're throwing around the new LAFC team like it's the same team. I didn't see Diego Rossi flying down the flanks, Brian Rodriguez. I didn't see... Uh, a lot of those players in the back line. I didn't see Tyler Miller so it's in not goal. A, it's I not a mark Walker against Zimmerman. Bradley that Steve Toronto comes in the next year and wins it? Edward. No. No, 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 no. I think that's a good John Thorrington. That's a good Steve Toronto. I don't mm. want to take anything away from those guys in that team. Now, you're bringing up the Confederations Cup like it was a fracaso. Uh, they beat a Spanish national team that won two European finals and a There's and a plenty World Cup of good football. In, in about, what, we're not talking span. about the good football. That they was an incredible achievement. Incredible achievement. But we'll talk about blowing run. leads in big games. What is it about his approach that, that sees that pattern repeat itself over and over again? I think you're reading you... too much into this, Seb. Listen, Seb. Let's get down to the root of it. Mm -hmm. Bob, Bob Bradley treated you a, 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 some type of way and you've never <laughs> forgiven him. You know, that's... You've never forgiven Bob Bradley. And now you want to say his, I mean, his reputation is tarnished because no, 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 the not, dumpster fire that is Toronto I'm, FC? I'm asking, I'm asking what is, is it about his style? And he got fired from What it? is it about his style that, that, that leads to this failure and what I think at LAFC is ultimately a failure, that he didn't win a title there? And, so and, and you can't look at Toronto FC and say that he, he's not been well-supported. They spend the most money in the league. And he got Carlos Vela to play... The best football that any coach has ever ah, gotten Carlos Vela to play. I mean, Real Sociedad, you don't think he was better there than he was at LAFC? Come on. It's, like a, it's totally – I mean, you're, you're going to say Carlos Vela's high assists. point is, is the reason that Bob Bradley's a great coach? Wait, wait. No, that's – wait, wait, wait. You're using that low point as to why he can't win big games. I, I, don't, I don't understand what you're trying to get. Do you think he's top two U.S. coaches ever produced? Uh, yes. That's what I'm asking. I, I, think he's a, I think he's a very good coach, Herc. I'm not trying to come on here and slam Bob Bradley. I know we have our history. And, and oh, he, that's what you're doing. No, no, no. I'm, I'm asking you to, to, to evaluate what is it about him, who is a guy who can get the team to an 8 or 9, but can't seem to get it to a 10. Where is that shortcoming, Herc? What is it? You know him. You played with him. That's what I'm you asking. You say can't get it to a 10, but you're telling me it's a fracaso that LAFC didn't win, even though they set a record in points, goals scored, goals received. You don't think uh, they felt all, it was a failure? Stuff. You don't think it was a failure to lose to Seattle at home as the number one seed in the playoffs? Yeah, but you're using you're using that as to say why. Okay, Bob what about Bradley missing the playoffs like, with Toronto FC in 2022? No what about missing the playoffs oh, with LAFC the next dude. season? Hmm? You think that team was a playoff team? I mean, you think that team was a playoff team? Which they got one? the Italian players, what? Okay, eight, what about the LAFC games, team uh, that he before? missed the playoffs with? What about that? 
needing to get a result on the last day. They ship five goals. You can continue to ignore this pattern, Herc, but it's there. It's, it's readily there with Bob Bradley's teams. They, I'm not saying they don't play well, but they don't get the job What's done. What's the question? What's the question, Seth? Why don't you Bob went, Bradley's went teams get the job done? Por que no? To why he can't win finals. So you can tell me all and about his great time at Swansea. About a losing season. <sighs> Well, what, what are we trying to get at here, Zeb? You clearly have an axe to grind, so what are we trying to get at? No, there's no axe to grind. There's no axe to grind. <laughs> but if there's ever, no? If ever there was no? a time for a get lost, I no? tell you what, it would, be, it would be right here. It would be right here. There we go, uh, Bob Bradley. Happy My trails. phone's blowing up. I think it's Bob Bradley. As he leaves Toronto. See, you know what? Hey, we'd love to have Bob on the show anytime. Yeah, we'd, we'd love, we, we need an analyst for this summer, so uh, bring it on. I know Herc's got some vacation coming up. All right, programming note. we got a couple shows coming for you this week. We will be live on Thursday, as we usually are. We will also be live Wednesday night, immediately after the United States, against St. Kitts and Nevis. And we will have a one-on-one -on -one exclusive with Alex Morgan. That's right, tomorrow's U.S. Women's National Team Media Day here in Los Angeles. So Football Americas will be there and getting a ton of interviews with all the stars from the U.S. team headed to the World Cup. He's Hercules Gomez. I'm Sebi Salazar. Thanks for watching, and we will see you Wednesday night right here on ESPN+.